1: All right. Welcome everybody. Uh, we are, we're happy to be back with uh, yet another edition of the goat district. And, uh, today we're going to be working on ultimate auction strategy. So we're gonna, we're gonna help you out, uh, from start to finish, every part of the auction process from prepping for it to, um, how you go through the auction and, and just everything you need to do. And, uh, so today we're going to have Theo kind of being our moderator and, uh, then uh, Jack and Chris and myself will be kind of answering the questions. And real quick, I'm just gonna introduce Jack and Chris. Uh, for those who don't know them, uh, Jack has uh, been doing NF- NFFC drafts um, ever since I've known him a long, long time. I don't know how many years, Jack, but uh, it's it's been over a decade for sure. And uh, also, uh, Jack is the one who I probably met first in the world of high stakes auctions. And, uh, you know, I, I, I immediately developed a healthy respect for um, the buzzsaw I was running into. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still can't forget uh, the time that, um, I think the first auction that I was in with you, uh, me and David Dodds, and you were sitting side by side by side, and, and me and David Dodds both built squads. We were like, oh yeah, these, these squads are just going to wreck this auction. And Jack is sitting there going, mm, no, I'm going to beat you both. Uh, <laughs> and I did. And he did. And you had a bet with uh, Dodds. Uh, what was it, a lifetime subscription or something to football guys?
2: Yeah, Dodds and I had a bet. He was so confident. He, he, it was $100 versus a lifetime subscription to football guys. So I'm good through twenty, at least twenty thirty five.
3: That's yep. awesome.
1: There you go. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. Um, Jack's been doing this for a long, long time, and uh, and Chris as well. Um, I think I probably ran into to Chris the next year in an NFFC auction, and uh, quickly learned I better respect this guy as well. Uh, you know, and to tell the truth, and in, in those auctions, there aren't too many people you probably shouldn't be respecting. Uh, the whole room is tough all the time, so um, I don't want you guys to get too much grief when you walk into that room uh, on uh, Friday night this week and and start getting crap from uh, Billy and all the guys. But, uh, you know, you, you definitely deserve to be here. There are certainly some other people we could have invited, but, you know, we can only have so big of a show, and we're, we're definitely pleased to have both Chris and Jack on here. Uh, Jack, why don't you let people know where they can find you on Twitter?
2: Yeah, my address is at JackHanLaw. Okay. pretty easy to find. Look for the bald lawyer.
4: <laughs> and Chris? You can find me at, at Chris Eibel, very simple. Um, not, not a big social media guy, more just focused on grinding through these, these high stakes leagues, but I um, always, always always enjoy chatting football.
1: Yep, absolutely. All right, so, um, and then before we get started, make sure if, uh, if you're new to the room, uh, if, if you don't mind, just go ahead and hit that like button. It's real simple. It's right in the middle of your screen practically. Uh, hit that like button, really helps us out. If you haven't subscribed to the show, um, it's absolutely free to subscribe. Just go ahead and do that. We really appreciate it. It Helps us out the more subscribers we have, uh, kind of the more clout we have um, as far as like how our our brand is perceived and presented uh, to the various sites and also on YouTube itself. So uh, it just helps us find new viewers. So both of those things help out a ton. So we really appreciate it if you can do that. And I think I'm going to turn things over to Theo here and uh, let him go to town on uh, the questions.
3: Yeah, so we're, we're really excited for this one. This is like two years of organizing to get this show going. I'm so glad that we have Jack and Chris. Uh, I, I enjoy doing a podcast more than uh, having to see them in the draft rooms this upcoming weekend in New York City. But that's a, that's a whole other conversation. Why, why do you guys enjoy doing auction drafts versus snake drafts? Maybe start with Jack.
2: Uh, it's the strategy is so much more intense. Uh, the planning, the preparation. I'm not bound by ADP and where guys usually go in a snake draft and auctions are just nonstop action for three hours. You know, it, it's uh, for a guy that's competitive like me, it's just perfect. Cause it's nonstop for three hours.
3: How about you, Chris?
4: Yeah. I don't like being bound by, by what, by ADP and you know, what, whether I'm in the front half or the back half of the draft, it's just truly the opportunity to build a team the way you wanna build a team. And then from a entertainment perspective, you're really involved anytime a player is nominated. So, you know, I go through periods in a draft where I kind of have tr- trouble paying attention as, if it, as it goes around the other end, but like with the auctions, I'm engaged the whole time. That's exactly I- what I was gonna say, Chris. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm the same way. If I'm stuck on one end of an auction, I'm just sitting here twiddling my thumbs, wait, or a draft, I mean, I'm just sitting there twiddling my thumbs, waiting for the action to get back to me. And uh, with an auction, I mean, you just cannot rest for a second. You're, you're constantly recalculating, um, you know, thinking, can, does this player fit? Does this player not fit? Um, what does this player mean to, you know, the other owners? Should I bid? Should I not bid? You know, just everything's going through your head all the time. And uh, you know it's 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 a consistently and constantly evolving uh, situation.
3: Do you guys like doing online auctions or in-person auctions or, or both? And what are you what do you find um, are the biggest ways that they differ? Maybe we'll start with Chris on this one
4: i prefer much prefer the in-person auctions for a couple of reasons one i prefer the higher stakes auctions and they, they don't have
3: as many of those
4: um online um but it's also fun just chatting with just live in general i'm mean, a live in general is, is better person um just the the entertainment value out of it like so many fun memories and like you know just seeing everyone so engaged the whole time, like I've seen Jack get up for a beer, and like someone nominates the player that you know he's had in the back of his mind, and he'll shout like they think they think they're catching him asleep, but he'll shout like two dollars, like put the beer down. From the he'll, back he'll be of- on it. So, um, so yeah, it's just it's just so much more fun fun live.
2: Jack, absolutely uh, in person. It's you know part of the fun for me is reading the room and interacting with guys and watching how they bid it's almost like you can pick up on tells on people a little bit um which i think we're going to talk about some of this with the psychology of things but it's so much better you can't do that online you know you can put together good teams but you just can't tell how committed somebody is on buying a player when you're online so it's so much more fun that way to me when you're when you're live
1: yeah same, same for same for me um just so much better in person um you know just just watching the little you know dollar signs tick up on an online auction is um it's a little bit tough and sometimes you know like if your connection just lags for a you know even a half a second or whatever you can miss out on a player uh, which is another thing i don't like so um you know i i almost feel like i should be like hardwired into the internet if i'm doing an auction online um but yeah, in person, it's just so much more fun because you, you, you really do develop, um, I think you develop a lot more, um, I don't know, there, there's a little bit more camaraderie within the league with an auction than there is with a draft. Um, it's just more of a shared experience rather than people taking turns just saying names. Uh, you know, everybody's involved with it.
3: So that, that makes it fun for me, too. And about how many auctions do you guys usually do each season?
4: I think in the past I've, I've usually done three or four. I'm, I'm upping it. I think I'm at seven, which is a personal record for me. So I'll try to keep breaking those records going forward.
2: Well, I got that record then I got like 10 or 12 this year. Um, Some of those are online and are smaller, but on the high stakes ones, I think I got like six or seven total. Dan,
1: I'm, I'm usually three or four, sometimes five. Uh, This year I'm only three. For some reason, I just didn't uh, didn't get enough uh, auction signs uh, signups done uh, in time, and so it's it's three for me. But uh, hopefully, I can up that back up to four or five next year.
3: What do you? What's your guys' general approach to to an auction as far as team construction? Um, are you guys more stars and scrubs, or do you like to have a very deep uh, roster where you could potentially make lineup choices each week?
2: Well, I can actually tell you what these guys like to do.
3: Go yeah, ahead, Jack. Let's, let's do that.
2: All right. All right. Because I know Dan has, has always been far more of a, a balanced lineup, um, likes to pick off values when they come up. So typically it's that lends itself to a much more balanced approach. Once in a while he'll go big on a guy. Uh, but I've always watched him do far more balanced. Chris, tough guy to read, man. Chris, Chris is not a guy that – uh, has a consistent pattern um it it's more definitely more balanced than me, but I'm sure these guys will say um sometimes he goes big and sometimes he doesn't when you do a number of them, I think he diversifies on purpose to stay a guy
3: that I can't read very well so he's
2: he's a diverse auction drafter
3: Chris, how about yeah. you describe these guys if you uh have any anything to add on Dan or jack?
4: no I, I would say with Jack, I know when I'm going into an auction with Jack. I know there's going to be three or four guys he's like really targeted beforehand, and maybe you can maybe you can get him off one of those guys with a with a <laughs> bid that's too high, but but it becomes pretty evident quickly who's who Jack's after in, in these auctions. And one of the reason it works for Jack with the stars and scrubs approach is he's really good at you know identifying the kind of players who can fill out his roster and provide a floor each week. Um, but I, I know it's it's I would say with both Jack and I, I think our preferred approach is probably stars and scrubs. I'm just a little more willing to, I think, be bought off that approach um, and, and go to plan B than, than Jack is. But I don't know if you'd disagree.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's that's a fair way to to say it with Jack. I mean, you know, he's getting at least two stars, if not three, you know, of, of the biggest studs he possibly can. Uh, whatever, whatever he can cram into his budget, basically he he will get three if he can do it that way. For me, I, I've definitely moved a little bit more in that way in recent years. I'm I'm a lot more willing to you know unload on unload the clip on at least one guy if not two, sometimes even three. I kind of vary it around from auction to auction. I found you know like I'll do one auction where I'm like I'm you know I'm going in big on two or three guys, and then I'll do another auction where I'm like well I'm gonna I'm gonna sit back here and just See if I can sharpshoot and right away to a good team. So,
4: yeah. And I will say that's one of the things I learned from Jack, like, because I was in the same boat as you, Dan, where my very first auction ever was next to Jack. And I liked my team. I took a balanced approach. I was just purely set on getting value everywhere. But I was, but I was like, you know, those couple that, that top tier you really need to have a couple guys from there. And if, if I had gone a little stronger there, I would have liked it a lot better. So that was, that was sort of my mental note from lesson one from Jack, I guess.
1: Yeah. One, what of, one of the things, one of the things oh, that uh, Jack impressed on me real quickly after that, that first auction, he said, you know, he goes, I don't have to worry about who to start. It's very obvious for me. He said, you're going to be pulling your hair out every single week. And he
3: was right. I was. What problems do you guys run into with stars and scrubs aside from maybe a potential lack of depth to start the season?
2: Well, since I'm the uh, guy that does most of the stars and scrubs, what I really have to watch out for. And sometimes I fail at is not saving enough money, Uh, overspending at the beginning. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good at not overspending. Even if I buy three guys, it's that fourth or fifth guy that gets me like, (laughs) I have a guy budgeted for about 15 or so and, oh man, one of my favorites come and he goes for like 18 or 19. Well, that's $4. I'm going to wish I had in about an hour and a half. So that that's my issue that I constantly run into is making sure I save enough toward the end.
4: I think the big mistake people make, I'll I'll go with the other, the, the building, building depth. I think the big mistake people make with that and why it's maybe a little less Popular than stars and scrubs is sometimes people think building depth means maybe allocating too much money to your bench and players on your bench really aren't going to do anything for you if you're in a 14 team league that might be useful where there aren't guys on the waiver wire but to me having a team that has depth doesn't mean having a bunch of 20 dollars players on your bench because that's that's not useful to you it's it's having you know it's still being able to start four really good receivers, but maybe they're all you're starting four third round receivers because you were able to stock up on those third to fourth round players because Jack spent eighty dollars on Christian McCaffrey.
1: Hey, we're we gonna that. make him spend at least that much. <laughs>
2: <laughs> nah, he's too <laughs> injury prone.
1: Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> and that's, yeah, there's to be a little Jack, bit of Jack's a lawyer and it.
3: a doctor. Yes. And that's a good segue um how do you determine fair prices for players prior to the auction it seems like that's probably one of the biggest parts of of anyone's auction draft plan um why don't we start with chris for this one
4: Oof, mine's probably a little more nerdy and excel based um i'll usually take a couple projections from you know from Sites I trust. I don't spend a lot of time on projections myself, but what I really try to do is find a baseline for every position, where like that's the type of player I can pick up on the the free agency market. Um, so let's or, or on the waiver wire. So let's say like am running back that that player is like a hundred points that I can find on the on the waiver wire. Um, How I base that is, is I'm trying to essentially do like almost like a baseball type, like war analysis, where if a player is projected for 150 points, that's half as valuable as a player projected worth 200 points. So I I sort of put together an Excel spreadsheet that, that I don't actually do a lot of work on. I just shove other predictions through that sort of does all that math for me. That's how I go about it.
3: Jack.
2: Well, I'm a lot simpler than that. I I get completed auctions. If I know I have a high stakes auction in a league where I wouldn't have normally, normally have completed results, I'll set up leagues myself, get guys to join and get some, Um, you know, the NFFC, which all of us do, they they have the perfect uh, resource for that with all the average auction values. So everyone I'm sure just looks at that. that and those are the best numbers and because of all the completed auctions, but there's other ones like FFPC. You got, I have to set up my own, and um, I, I know other places where I know guys are doing FFPC style auctions. So I'll get the results and I'll compile that and get my mm-hmm. own average auction value. And uh, over the years, these has just been dead on for me. So I, I know what they're going to be, and you, you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily think that until you've seen it, and you just see the prices are so close. So I feel like I know what the prices are going to be, and I can really game plan after that.
4: Yeah, Dan, the, I'm
3: sorry. Yes. Go ahead,
4: Chris. I was just going to say what you touched on is is is, is really key key there to any auction for high stakes. Like you mentioned, NFFC provides great data. The other best data you can find is is whatever your league used last year. But that that you know that that gives you such a better ability to plan for your auction if you know what players are going to go. For.
1: Yep, for sure. So I have, it's, I guess, simple for me, um, but really makes sense. And what I do is I take each auction that has happened before, like, see, these are auctions from prior years. This is this is basically six years of, uh, or six individual auctions from like the past couple of years uh, that I've done that are FFPC auctions. And so like, you know, 2021, 2020, I think there's even a 2019 in there. And just basically what I do is I just organize, you know, from the most expensive to least expensive player, you know, what the bids were. And then I can do this graph and you can see from the graph, this is this is six individual lines here and they track almost identical from draft to draft, year to year. There'll be slight variations in them, you know, like, you know, you'll see like the blue line. Uh, you know, there's some places where it, like it started out lower, but uh, you know, it's a little bit higher in some of the middle sections. Um, and what that shows is just that you know, there were there were more people making mid-range bids in that draft, and there was less money that went to the higher uh, players. But for the most part, uh, every every auction at, at least in the FFPC is going to follow this curve. And so mm-hmm. what I do is I just take ADP. Uh, you know, like I'll take a fresh set of ADP from a day or two before the auction from like main events, um, off of, uh, Fantasy Mojo's great site. And I'll, I'll plaster that on and then I'll just plaster these auction values right next to it. So, you know, Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup are going to be the top four in some order. And I can see, you know, roughly where those bids are going to be. And I can go down, you know, and I can see, you know, when, when I'm, uh, about 65 players or so in, we're going to be down to the $10 bids and so forth like that. And the last, uh, about the last 60 bids or so are going to be $1 players. So I could, I can just kind of fit it to my curve and then I can, you know, I've got a pretty good idea with that of how I'm going to, you know, how I should be valuing these players per ADP. I might personally value them higher or lower than that but at least I have a a pretty good idea of what they're likely to go for in the auction. So that's the way I do
3: it. Does anybody have any other good sources to help, to help them out, to help players out with setting prices for what players should go for, or is that pretty much covered um, in everything you, everything we just talked about?
2: I'll tell you, um, I just came across a guy I had not met, um, but he private messaged me. Um, His name's Jackson Barrett and he writes for Roto Street Journal. And he wrote an article in July that's on Roto Street Journal's site that I I actually was reading it this weekend. And I thought he did a really good job putting together prices um, based on consensus rankings. And then he has an Excel um, program that he uses. And I was really impressed with that. So shout out to Jackson, hope you're listening because now we're buddies after I dropped your name on this. But it's really good. And I thought if I didn't have completed auctions, that would be a really good resource for me to look at. And I sent the link to Dan too, the other day, cause I mentioned mm-hmm. it and I don't know if you looked at it, but I thought, yeah, it was, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So it's great for new guys. If they don't have any numbers or prices to check that out. And I think it's a good way for guys to uh, learn a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. If you, if, if that's a link you'd like, uh, you can, you can hit up me or Jack um, or while we're, we're going through the show. I'll see if I can drop it into the, uh, the show chat as well.
4: The only other thing I'd recommend is a little pre-auction prep is for whatever reason, there can be discrepancies between, you know, where players are going in ADP and their auction, their average auction values. So sometimes if I'm, I usually don't like to do it until within a day or so of an auction, just because, you know, our ADP is constantly evolving. Um, but but I do like to run those comparisons of, of ADP to, you know, on the NFFC side to, to average auction values, just to see where,
3: where potential bargains might be in advance. So we, we covered player pricing, and that's definitely an important aspect. But probably the most important thing to focus on is planning your strategy. You guys draft against 11 other really, really good players. The auction that I'll be at in New York City just watching is an unbelievable group of talent um, in terms of just fantasy football minds. How do you go about planning your strategy? Um, we'll start out with Jack.
2: Uh, well, my process is first figuring out the lo- what lineup requirements are and the type of league, number of teams. I mean, just some of the basics. And then I'm going to assess the inventory of players too because every year it changes. Like this year I feel like there's more running backs in the top, you know, three rounds or so where guys are focused on. And I think that's changed as compared to the last few years. And then to look to see where – wide receiver values are going to be. I think there's, there's a, there's a tier there in the middle that's really stacked up. So I'll, I'll start looking at where I think the values are going to be um, regardless of position. Um, and then I'll, I will pick a few players that I'll stick in a game plan. I mean, I, I have uh, five or six game plans I'll put together for every single auction that will take into account, how it could flow, you know, a wide receiver, heavy one, a running back, heavy one, balanced. Um, I, I do that to see what lineups I really like as Chris picked up, there's a few players I'll, I'll tend to really like, and Chris has going to probably pick up on a lot of those with the number of auctions we got this year. But, um, you know, there's, a, there's always one guy that's going to outbid. Um, so you have to be ready to modify it and change plans on the fly. And when I have those backed up, I, I I can see with numbers in there, what's what's the closest plan I got and then modify it. And uh, I'll pick that one out and I'll, I'll try to hit that one as best I can.
3: Chris.
4: I would say my strategy is usually less based on specific players. And I'm really obsessed with Finding discounts and value, you know, I'll I'll have that list of average auction prices, but I want to get less than that. And I want to do that whenever possible with the twist of also making sure I acquire a couple first round caliber players. So I'm always, like I said, I'm always going to try for that stars and scrubs approach, but my preparation is more based on being comfortable in my own, with my own values and knowing where I'm getting discounts. Um, based on the projections that I'm using.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of between, I guess, the, t- the two. Um, I definitely go through and I, I will look at specific player combinations. You know, I'm looking for that that combination or two or three or four that I can find that really fits well. Um, you know, and a lot of times it's, it's not even necessarily specific players. You know, there might be two or three players who've, who will fit into a slot and I'll be happy with any of those, you know, Uh, or, you know, there are some times where it, you know, I might have one strategy, you know, that's built around, well, if I can get this particular player at this price uh, and I think that he's probably going to get nominated early and I'll know early, uh, you know, I might have a strategy built around that too. But, uh, but much like Chris though, I'm really focused on trying to find the values in the auction. And so I'm just looking through, you know, basically when I, when I overlay that ADP onto my list of auction values, I'll go through and I'll highlight the players I'm most interested in. And then I go back and I start looking at different combinations that I can use of those players to build a team out and get the right amount of, uh, you know, money into my starting lineup. Like one thing we haven't really talked about is, uh, you know, like how much you allocate for your starting lineup. Uh, For me, I'm probably going to go at least 170. Um, sometimes, sometimes a little bit more. Uh, Jack, I know we'll go probably about 185 if he can.
0: No,
2: not that high. <laughs> I've
0: I'll seen that. giving
1: you hard time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Something to aim for this year, though. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yep, definitely. So, well, what about, Jack, what, what about you, Chris? What do you What do you do? I, I, for- I would have
4: yeah. thrown out that 170, 175. Uh, i did one on
2: uh saturday night a league i ran ffpc rules and i i had budgeted 175 and 178 so i didn't even hit 180 guys
1: no
3: wow (laughs) you're holding back i'm impressed and if you guys all seem to have multiple strategies um when you're going into an auction how do you decide which one to use during the auction is it sort of just being able to read what's going on and and pivot as things happen or is there anything more nuanced to it
1: yeah for me i'm i'm looking at those first players usually one or two of this you know the top of the first round players is going to go pretty quick in the auction they're going to come up for nomination and i'm kind of looking for what what sort of a price is that player going for because that's probably going to set the tone for the rest of the auction you know, if uh, Christian McCaffrey goes up and he goes for $75 on a $200 budget, I know, hey, we're going to have some expensive players in the top half of the first round. And But if he goes for, you know, $61 or something like that, then I feel like, oh, I'm going to have to, you know, I can I can probably pick up a couple of really, really good players here, but I'm going to have to watch my money in the middle of the auction because all those players are probably going to be pumped up in price a little bit
2: see I'm, I'm different on that. There's a lot of times I want I want to set the tone, but not yeah. pick one of those high guys. So let's just pick a different running back. Let's just say uh, Swift, right? DeAndre Swift. Um, I would expect him to go right at AVV first one I put up. okay? I don't I don't think bidding's gonna be high. Guys aren't ready to bid super high on him, most guys. And I think if if that's a guy to fits your plan, and you have one of the early nominations, put him up because I don't expect him to, you know, if his price is 41, that's AVV on that. I, he's not going to go for 46 unless someone really, really likes him. And I think you can buy him, you have him in your plan and you know. So it just depends who that is, right, and who you're targeting. But I, I found that that has worked for me in the past.
4: Do you, do you find... Most auctions tend to start off a little a little cool rather than hot. I would I would say I feel like those yeah. first couple guys people are a little nervous to get absolutely. there. Absolutely,
2: absolutely. And I think you take in. advantage of that.
4: Yeah. Most. For sure. I, I mean,
2: l- once you start getting guys where we've we've known each other, it's it's hard to get those bargains mm-hmm. initially. But if you're in a if you're in a league with new guys, I would I would go in there with an aggressive attitude because a lot of guys uh, don't want to jump in right
3: away. Yep, no, what no, is your no, no. guys' what is your guys' strategy with onesie positions, like quarterback, but also kicker and defense?
4: I tend to be the the dork who starts in the first round with my okay. favorite one dollar kicker, um, because it I'm trying to get every little advantage I can get, and if you know if I know the Ravens are going to go for or Justin Tucker is going to go for two dollars. And all the other kickers are going to go for one dollar. I know I can get the second best kicker by bringing by bringing him up first. Um, and so usually with those cheaper positions, I'm just trying to get the best one one dollar player I can that I'm confident won't go for two dollars.
2: I'm a dollar kicker, dollar defense. Um, you know, I'll pick a mid range defense that I think might start off strong for the first four weeks or so. Or depending on what league it is, I might pick one that I think might. I think my team's going to be strong, which I do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll pick one toward the end of the year that I think their, their playoff schedule is really, really good for quarterbacks. So I think that changes year to year. You know, I used to be a guy that would budget in a lower number because I was happy with a guy anywhere from 10 to 12 quarterback. But um, I think like this year's changed a little bit because there's some interesting dynamic quarterbacks in that mid range. And their prices aren't that expensive. So it's easy to budget in a guy anywhere from six to nine dollars this year and still get a really good quarterback. And I'm sure, you know, the other guys see that, too. We're seeing the results. So, um, yeah, it just kind of depends on the inventory every year and assessing who, who you think is going to be um, either a low quarterback for two or three dollars, like Lamar Jackson a few years ago, which was the ultimate, you know, trump card for, for two or three bucks. Or a uh, Kyler Murray for nine or ten dollars this year.
3: Dan,
1: yeah, pretty much the same for me. I w- I will spend up a little bit at quarterback. Um, you know, I don't I don't want to be the guy setting the market. Um, you know, buying Josh Allen or anything like that. That's uh, I'll leave that to somebody else. But I'll take I'll look for you know I'll have probably four quarterbacks that I really really like that I believe in, and. It kind of depends on when they get uh, nominated, too, because, you know, and I'm sure we'll get to this, but, you know, when when a player is nominated in the auction, sometimes influences how much they go for. So, uh, you know, there's sometimes I want to hold off on, on the guy I want, and other times if I think not too many other people are going to be in on the same guy as me, then I'll go ahead and get them nominated right away, and everybody will be saving their money
3: for somebody else. More of a redraft question, but I wanted to follow up, um, you guys brought up the Lamar Jackson uh, season in 2019 um, do we feel like people are projecting and ranking quarterbacks better Um, it just seems like there's there's less bargains out there this year where I feel like the market is kind of correct in in their approaches Um, or am I do you guys have different thoughts on that
2: Uh, Well, as it applies to auction, I don't think it's changed prices very much. I mean, I'm surprised that those kind of running quarterbacks are still going for the prices that they are, which to me is pretty cheap, okay? Um, It's corrected more in in redraft, but in auction, I don't think it really has. I think people have, have more just gotten used to a certain price for a quarterback, and it's a fairly deep inventory as it is. So their prices haven't changed that much to me.
4: I think what's happening this year is people are comfortable with like the 10th through, through 12th best quarterbacks. If you're looking at like guys like Stafford, Brady, Lance, people don't mind using those guys. And I think because there's less of a risk of maybe getting completely shut out at quarterback, I think that's what's sort of driving what we're seeing with you know Kyler, Lamar, Hurts. Maybe going in the six to nine dollar range, or maybe seven nine dollar range, when those are typically thirteen fifteen dollar players at an auction.
1: Yeah, this this could past. be the this could be the year that uh, we see one dollar uh, Aaron Rodgers.
3: Absolutely could. Um, it's it's just very interesting. It's probably more of a redraft question, but it just seems like uh, the market has kind of corrected itself. I think that last year people were getting hurts at kind of a little bit of a discount. Um, he, he beat his ADP, you know, you're seeing Mahomes two years ago, Lamar Jackson, and then this year, it seems like it's corrected. Just an interesting thought. Um, wanted to get into tracking of the auction. Do you do anything to track what other team owners are doing during the auction? Or are you mostly just looking at the board and of course your, your own budget and team? Maybe start with Dan on this one.
1: Yeah. So I, I track it, um, during the auction, I I have my uh, laptop with me and I have a spreadsheet up where I can just put in um, you know like how many dollars each player went for so I you know so I can track it for the next auction is one of the things I want to do and then the other thing I do is I just put it into a grid where I have each of the owners one through twelve and uh, you know if owner number three spends thirty three dollars on a player I'll just put thirty three dollars there and then that that also will just let me know, it'll update for me, you know, what's their maximum bid uh, that they can make, you know, which comes into play as we start to get, you know, like a third to a half of the way through the auction. I want to know what people's maximum bid is. Um, I also want to know what's the average that they can spend per player that they have remaining. And the other thing that my spreadsheet does is I track the total number of dollars that have been spent in the auction versus the total number of players that have been purchased in the auction. So, you know, we know at the end of these, you know, like a 12-team, a 20-player auction, 240 players are going. So if we're 120 players in and 67% of the budget has been spent, you know that there's still 33% that's going to this last half. That would be a lot. Most of the time, it's going to be more like, you get halfway through the auction and 75, 80% of the budget has been spent and most of what's left is going to be $1, $2 players uh, the rest of the way. But I'll just track how that, you know, how the total dollars remaining versus the total number of players remaining to be bought is going. And that kind of helps me figure out, uh, you know, what my strategy is going to be as we're moving through the different stages of the auction as well.
3: Jack?
2: Well, Dan puts numbers um, to what I've always kind of done innately because I know what the prices are going to be. I know whether there's been a number of guys being bought more for more and higher prices than what my numbers suggest. And since I've seen how these auctions flow for the rest of the time, I'll know whether there's a lot of money being spent. Dan has the numbers. I don't, but I know it. I know it so I can adjust and I don't need a specific number on that and nothing that there's wrong with it. It gives you a, more of an idea. Um, I, I always look at a, an auction board NFFC's made it super easy. They have them on the computer now and I, it just, it's right there. So even on the live ones, you put it on your computer. But for those that, that don't have that, I still have my own spreadsheet in front of me with 20 slots for every single player. And I write them in because I love to see in one spot real fast, who needs what, who needs a tight end, who needs a quarterback, because, um, you know, if there's three guys that still need quarterbacks, but my guy's still out there, I might start changing nominations to either buy my guy or have them fill up their spots. So I always want to know exactly what's going on um, for who has what for starters and, and where they're at on reserves.
4: Chris? Yeah, for me, I would say this is an area where, where focus is really required in the draft because I'll, I'll have my list and that'll have, you know, those average auction values of what I expect people to go for. I don't necessarily pay too close of attention to it other than I can clearly tell if it's, you know, higher or lower than, than what we're typically seeing, which, you know, if, if prices are higher than what we're expecting them to be, I know there are gonna be values later. I just have to balance that with not getting left out of the top tier of players. Going back to our earlier lessons on, you know, you don't want to get shut out of those, those top two round talents. And so it's, it's a constant balancing act of, I know there were, will be values later versus I don't want to be left out of, of the top tier of sure. players.
3: Um I want to follow back up. You, you brought, bring up focus. Um, you know, we've done, like Chris, if we're in Vegas, you might you might draft four teams in a day in a, in a redraft league. Um, I know I'll do the same. How many auctions would you be uh, comfortable doing in a day, like high stakes auctions? How, how many, like, until the point where you're incredibly fried from it?
4: I, I was fried after three last year. I, I have a day with four this year, so. Oh um,
3: yeah, that's a tough one. I think I'm just,
4: one. I'm just gonna collapse collapse of the. Park MGM or Bellagio or wherever we are, I'll probably just be sleeping in the ballroom that
3: night. I, and you have to lo- locate the uh, locate the best coffee spot in the uh, the casino as well, and and keep caffeinating. I would imagine as well. For sure, oh, definitely. Yeah, Jack. Yeah, yeah I've
2: done th- I've done three, and on that last one, I was tired going in, and I just said I I'm gonna buy three really expensive guys and sit back for a while because I'm really tired.
4: <laughs> what so it, that's what, it, what I did. What a shocking change from your usual strategy, <laughs> yeah, Jack.
2: But you know, as a third guy, that'd be a, the swing guy. So when I have, you know, like like three guys that were 42 to 45 or was something like that, then I need to sit back for a while and wait for some bargains for about an hour.
1: Yeah, your your strategy definitely can change the point at once, at at where your focus has to get super intense on an auction, uh, without a doubt. Um, one of the things I also look at, you know, and, and Jack kind of alluded to it, I think, but, you know, when, you, when you're looking at the list, you know, or the, the board, you know, it's not like a snake draft where, you know, it's going from the best players, you know, on down to the, the worst players in an auction. You know, those players can be in any order, you know, so you, you might see, you know, the second player on, a, on Team 3's list of players that they own uh, might be a complete bench guy. Uh, so you have to keep track of not only, you know, well, you know, do they, you know, do they have two running backs yet, but do they have two starting running backs, you know, so I, I kind of make mental notes. Do I think this guy is a starter guy or a bench guy for them And what, you know, what positions are they looking for? How does their team look in general? You know, is it, you know, do I think they're probably, oh, they got to shore up that wide receiver room? Or does it seem like they're really trying to attack running back strong or whatever, you know, so I'll, I'll just... Make little notes on that too um, as I'm tracking and and try to make sure that I have an idea of where I think they might be going.
3: Yeah, it's the uh, there's a reason that they do the that a lot of the players that are doing that big auction on Friday are not doing the six p.m. prime time and, they, and they're they're maybe taking that one off. It's the mentally taxing uh, aspect of the auction that I think is kind of overwhelming for some players um, to definitely do multiple ones in a day and. A big hat to, tip to Jack for being able to handle uh, three and Chris. Uh, quite uh, quite possibly a psycho move to do four, but that's <laughs> yeah. a whole other story. I'm, I'm hoping
4: to make my stamp in the Guinness Book of World Records one day, and just just training up for it.
3: 100. <laughs> percent It's mental mental fortitude as much as focus, I guess. Um, wanted to wanted to keep focusing on the on the strategy aspect, but I want to get into the in auction strategy part of it. Um, how do you decide who to nominate when it's your turn, Dan?
1: So that can kind of depend on, you know, where we're at in the auction. Uh, you know what what players I'm looking for. I'm, you know, early in the auction. I'm likely, you know, if I if I want the early early nominations, I tend to do the same thing as Jack. I'll throw out a guy that I want and see if I can sneak him through for a you know a good price. A lot of times, I will throw out. Uh, you know fairly early in the process I'll, I'll throw out players I'm not so much interested in that I think that lots of other uh, people in the auction are going to be interested in uh, because I want to just kind of I want to pull some money out of the auction before I start having to bid seriously against these people uh, you know that's not always possible but you know every little bit you can do definitely helps and but then It also helps every once in a while to mix in a player that you do want, you know, as you're going through, because if you, you know, if you kind of become known as a guy who's always throwing out somebody you don't want, uh, you know, that can be a tell. So every now and then you want to throw out a guy that you do want and, uh, you know, come in on the bit on that.
3: How about you, Jack?
2: It really totally depends on the flow of the auction for me. Um, It's pretty rare when I will, will just throw out a guy to try to, draw money off the board about the only time I ever do that is if we're getting toward the end of a tier and the prices are kind of nutty, right? If you're getting toward like the end of RB ones and you can see guys are starting to panic, then I'll throw out another one like that. But usually every one of my nominations has a specific purpose for where I'm trying to get, I just, I I worry a lot more about my team and, and how I think nominations could help or not help. So uh, most of the time I'm, I'm looking for ways that I can prove my lot either now or down the line, but it's just so dependent on what's going on. Um, you know, I got the first nomination in New York on Friday. I'm in the number one spot. So I can't give away too much because I'm not sure which way I'm going yet, but it's probably going to be aggressive.
3: That's awesome.
4: $1. No, I'm,
3: looking, I'm looking forward to seeing that one.
4: One dollar kicker.
3: Yeah. percent. <laughs> How about you, Chris?
4: I'm I'm usually trying to read the read the room and you know I'm also taking into account whether I think prices are going for too high or too low. Um, let's say you know Jack using his earlier example had thrown out DeAndre Swift and he goes for something I feel is cheap thirty eight dollars and maybe I win him even. Um, as soon as that happens, I'm trying to find a similar player that I think will will provide a similar bargain bargain maybe i throw out some guy who goes right in that range like a saquon barkley or someone like that thinking okay well maybe i can also get saquon barkley for 38 dollars. on the flip side if it's if it's you know if swift's going for 47 then i'll throw out saquon barkley because i want someone else to spend 47 48 and so it, it can really go it can really go both ways in terms of why why you nominate a player and you can nominate the same player for different reasons
2: Yeah. You know what? I'll add on this. In an auction I was doing the other night, there was a huge running back just um, run going on and on and on. And it got to my nomination. I'm like, I need to mix things up here because guys are just on this flow. So I threw in like a mid-range quarterback that I might've been interested in because all of a sudden guys will have to adjust their focus and their thinking. You just never know. You just never know where all of a sudden you might get a guy a dollar or two lower. Uh, if they're not really, you know, focused on that position.
4: So this this sounds like a super outdated example, but it's one that have actually what you just mentioned is something I've absolutely observed. I initially thought I could throw out a hot player at any point in an auction that maybe I wasn't too keen on and extract a lot of money out of the auction uh, other auction players. And I remember like there was one year where like Jermichael Finley was just a really hot player for the Packers and everyone, you know, he was everyone's favorite early third round pick. Um, And I threw him out at a period where it had just gone through like a string of running backs and it was just crickets because people weren't prepared to adapt from, you know, that, Running back, running back, running back. To oh, where did your Michael Finley come from? Um, and so I, have I, observed the same thing where if you if you throw some, throw out something different from whatever the pattern is, it can it can sort of slow
3: bidding a little bit. And that's a, that's a great segue. Uh, how does the timing of nominations influence player pricing? So if if Jack decided to throw out Justin Jefferson as the first pick um, in the in the auction Friday, um, like what would that do? To the, to the wide receiver pricing for the room? Would it necessarily make them more expensive, at least the elite guys, potentially make them a little more affordable? Um, take this any way you want. Start with Dan on this one.
1: So in a way, when you when you throw out a, an anchor player like that, it's gonna kind of help to set the market uh, for the rest of them. Uh, because people will be looking at, you know how much did this player sell for? How much did I think he was going to sell for? Uh, you know, was that high? Was that low? You know, so you know, if he sells for a low price, they might become emboldened to you know throw out more wide receivers, and you know, and everybody will look and say, well, you know, I think uh, Devonte Adams should be going for eight dollars less than uh, Justin Jefferson or something like that, uh, and so they'll you know they'll kind of anchor onto those prices a little bit, um, and. Every once in a while, though, you'll have a, a price where everybody realizes, oh, I sh- we should have been bidding on that. That was a really good price, and it won't affect the other prices as much. You know, If they see that that was a really good deal, probably it's not going to have as much of an effect. But if they felt like it was a fair price, it's going to kind of anchor things right on down the list a little bit.
3: Jack or Chris?
2: Yeah, I, I'll say that um, with a guy like that, 12 guys are going to know what his average auction value is on NFFC. So if he's a $50 player, he's going to go for 50 at least. And because I'd pay at least 50 for him as an anchor guy. But there's usually one or two guys that are going to say, Justin Jefferson, right? All right, he's one of my guys. I'm going to go up to 53 and get this thing go. If there's another aggressive guy in there and they really like him, they'll pay a couple extra. I think as on the first bid. I don't expect to keep on
3: a guy like him. I might pay sixty for Justin Jefferson. And I'd let um, you have him. There you go. And first go. I'd
2: read and see, you know, I can tell Theo's gonna go up to sixty, so I'll just keep going up and then I'll have you overpay for him.
3: Without a doubt. And I would happily overpay for <laughs> Justin Jefferson.
4: Yeah, let's say let's say he does go for fifty eight. I really do think it sets the market, like cause no one wants to pay 52 or 53 dollars for chase if someone got away with paying 50 for for jefferson i feel like people don't like getting ripped off and if they see a better bargain they they, that sort of weighs on them psychologically is is to being willing to spend more on the next guy even if jefferson went for too cheap
2: they might pay 53 for him if he's the last of let's say the top four right? right cup jefferson chase Diggs. And if Chase is the last one coming out and they were dead set on buying a top four wide out, they, they might pay 53, 54. I've seen guys do that. Yep. But you always want to avoid the last of the tier in my book.
3: That's the sort of thing you see in, in, in home league auctions where people don't really budget as much. And then you'll all of a sudden wide receiver 22 and 23 and 24 are going for comparable prices as like wide receiver nine. Cause some guy realizes I need to get this wide receiver um e
2: you o know, it happens in Vegas and New York too
3: yeah, you can't take it with you right yeah what role yeah, does so psychology play? I'm sorry, so, Dan, you had more done yeah,
1: I just wanted to to throw in you know that also timing can really matter um as far as like how much when when a guy goes up for auction, how much money is left who who can bid on him um uh, can make a big difference because, you know, like, you know, just taking a look at last year, uh, we had two identical auctions uh, that were run back to back, and there were actually some people in both of the auctions uh, for FFPC, but DJ Moore in the first auction goes for 25 and the au- second auction, he goes for 16 uh, Jamar Chase went for $22 in the first auction, went for $8 in the second auction um uh, you know so you can see some really really big discrepancies from auction to auction on different players kind of depending on you know where they went in the auction you know like if they were nominated early or late or um uh, whatever and honestly i don't remember uh, what was the case with chase i'm i'm really curious when i was looking back on that i was like I need I need to go back and check and see where Chase was. I've got a I got a photo of the auction board that will help me out a little bit. But yeah, um, he was
4: going you know, for eight to twelve across. I think both formats from what I was what I was seeing last year. People were people were really right. nervous. Yeah,
1: but somebody somebody bid the heck. Of, you know, there was definitely a bidding war in one of them. So you know, because uh, when he went for twenty two dollars, that was like that was way out of uh, bounds of what I was expecting. I thought that was like a super high price. I was I was expecting somewhere in the yeah, probably 10 to $14 range, I think, was what I was looking for. So, um, yeah, it, it, it just really can make a difference um,
3: where they go in the nomination order. God forbid a guy drops a pass in the preseason, right, Chris? <laughs> Can't 100%. happen. <laughs> 100%. Trash. Um, what role does psychology play in your, in your auction game? Anybody want to take this one? We got we got to let Jack go on this one. All right.
2: I, I absolutely love it. It's like it literally is the fate, my favorite part of the auction. OK, um, one of my things is, is how I bid. I always try to mix it up. Sometimes I'm quiet. Sometimes I'm loud. And it's really funny sometimes when I get really loud and put a loud number out there. Some guys just like back off. It's the craziest thing. Right. Mixing, mixing up the pace Sometimes I'll be really fast with it. Other times I'll bid early. Sometimes I'll bid late. So guys can't really pick up on, on what you're doing. But that part I just love. I'm Sometimes, you know, I'll kind of look at them like and just give them different looks because I find that's fun. And some guys just, you know, stare at their computer and they don't look up, Dan Williamson. So um, I'm just teasing you. So that's just part of it. And, you know, you pick up on things on guys. Some guys will only bid to win so if you know that and i've seen that with 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 certain guys over the years if they're bidding they're in it to win and you know you can bid them up and there's certain players they like i've seen from year to year and you just keep bidding them so it's uh that part's awesome Um, and also you know there's some guys that are really really bound to the average auction value they see those numbers and it's like their gospel that I can't go above this number because then I'm paying too much and like seriously. And you can tell, you can tell they stop bidding at a certain number because they know it. So all that stuff is just so much fun for me and how I'm bidding.
4: I just have, I just have a lot of fun with it, to be honest. I don't know if it actually provides any advantage, but like, I, I, I'm definitely told to tone down the, theatrics if I like nominate you know Leonard Fournette and I call him and I really want him so I start off by calling him fat and all these other insulting terms and how he's injury prone and you know I'll start an auction with that or if a player gets hurt on the third if let's say Gabe Davis sprains an ankle and he's out two weeks after the first game you know I'll be sure to mention before I I nominate him I'll be like you know May or may not go on IR, might be gone for a while, but I'll, I'll throw Gabe Davis out there for, you know, $3. Um, and so I, I don't know how much that actually works, but it's, it's, it's fun for me.
3: And there's, you, you said that you're told, told to relax on the theatrics. It's, there's no rules with that. Is the auctioneer no, no. just no. like, take it easy, Chris? Oh, no. Oh, no. Or other players <laughs> to just oh, no. messing your balls?
2: I, I, I've been in auctions and given guys crap. I don't even know them. Yep. Like if I see that's something good. funny and it's not like really gonna piss them off, I'll start teasing them, and that's half the fun. And like, yeah, they're probably mad at me, but that's okay. You know, if they're mad at me, that means they're not paying as much attention. But I'm not gonna be a total jerk in something like that. But that's fun. That's I yeah. No, sometimes
4: I,
1: I, I, I'm the same way. I would, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna be a jerk. But you know, if I see somebody starting to tilt a little bit, and I think I can nudge them into a little bit more of a tilt without being a total dick about it, I'll do it. I have no problem with that because if they're off their game, you know, if they're more focused on, you know, something that happened in the auction rather than the auction that is actually going on around them, uh, you know, that's a win for everybody else basically. So I, I don't have any problem with that. The other thing I like to do is I like to, to kind of, you know, vary the pace of my bids. Uh, some people get a little bit more intimidated, you know, if, like if they bid 17, you come right back with 18 immediately it can intimidate them other guys it, it doesn't have any effect on you know and then there are some people who who can't stand it when you wait until their auctioneer is about to say sold and then you just come in with that you know that last second yeah. bid and you can sometimes frustrate them out of continuing the bid <laughs> yes yeah, Chris, exactly <laughs> you know they think they, they think they got that player and they don't you know and depending on how they react to and whether I really want that player or not, you know, sometimes I can use that to kind of just see if I can shove the build bidding up a little bit higher if I don't want that player. You know, just try to see if I can squeeze a couple extra dollars out of them.
2: And then you give them you give them a comment afterwards, like, "Oh yeah, you're so close. You almost had them." <laughs> oh. That's $2. awesome. Mm.
1: Yep.
3: <laughs> that's a Yep. Yeah. That's a that's a good segue. Um, do you ever price enforce or bid on players that you do not want, and why would you do that? Um, we'll start with Chris on this one.
4: I don't do that very often. Even I, I would say I'm involved. I would say I'm involved in like almost half the bids because I, I, I'm usually not targeting specific two players or sorry specific players too much. But I, I, yeah, I, I, I tend not to try to enforce just because I've seen too many instances where. You know, someone ends up with that second QB for $5 just trying to, you know, enforce the guy who didn't didn't have a QB and taking on any type of risk that's going to benefit 11 other people at the risk of your own team. Usually that math isn't worth it for me.
2: I will never price enforce on guys with bad NFL buzz going on. okay, because that raises the the specter that I'm going to get stuck with them. Since I usually know where the, where the prices are, um, even if it's a guy I don't really like, but I think will still sell, I'll go to anywhere from four or five below that average auction value because someone's willing to pay up another dollar or two. But I, I never I never put a number in if I'm not willing to get stuck with them. Never. Because I got stuck a few times early on in my career, and that just throws everything off. So... If I'm going to price enforce, I know, all right, if I'm going to buy him, I'll, I'll pay this before I throw out that number.
1: Yeah, I think that's really key because sometimes, you know, like, uh, you know, one thing I'll do is, you know, if, if somebody says Jamar Chase, $2, and then somebody else says $5, I'm going to be the guy who goes out there and goes 45 you know, let's get this thing moving. Uh, but the key is you don't want to put out a number that's going to be high enough where, you know, you might all of a sudden end up with a player you don't want. Now, Jamar Chase, that's not going to be a problem. But, um, you know, say I'm really not in on Leonard Fournette, I throw out a price of $27 or something like that. I could end up owning Leonard Fournette. Everybody, you know, it could be just crickets after I throw out that price. So um, you do want to go a little bit low. And, and as Jack said, you know, just don't don't ever get too cute with players you really don't want because um, something can, something bad can happen for sure.
3: Shows you the power of of Chris Seibel's mental game where you don't want Leonard Fournette for anything because he, Chris has you thinking how fat he is right now.
1: Exactly. So there you go. That's that's there exactly what it is. All I can think of now is Fat Lenny.
4: Yeah, I'll be you- when I, when I announce my bid, I'll be like shoving a giant fork of spaghetti in my mouth as I'm talking to. So. He'll
3: be he'll be obese Lenny by by Friday. Um <laughs> Guys, uh, how about some price enforcement horror stories? Um, either for you know yourself, I know that you're you've got to remember one in the past. Or have we seen any you know high stakes guys that we know really get jammed um, recently in drafts you've been in trying to do this price enforcement? I learned my
1: lesson way back in the days of uh, what was it, Chris Conway with the Bears? Was that was that Curtis? The, Curtis Conway, that's it. Um, I, I I still vividly remember to this day. I threw him out I threw out an opening bid of fourteen dollars on him, you know, thinking he was gonna go for like eighteen or nineteen. And I didn't want him. I was just throwing him out there to try to pull some money out of the auction. I mean there was just crickets going on. Nobody said a word. I'm like, Okay, I guess he's mine. Uh, that that was my lesson.
2: I honestly don't remember. It's been so long where I've been in a one of those where I've really gotten stuck on a big number that it's it's, literally it's been at least 10 or 12 years so i don't recall any specific ones
4: yeah i I would never make a mistake like that no there you
3: go (laughs) absolutely not um what is your early auction strategy i know we we touched upon it where you know chris you brought up you know potentially bidding out your kicker um but what's your overall um early strategy um for auctions
4: Aside from wanting, you know, wanting to maybe initiate those those onesie positions where I can maybe get a a better value, I, I really am, like Jack, usually probably trying to collect two to three top 15 players. And so for me, I'm interested in finding out what they're going for as soon as possible and so I can quickly adjust if, if they're going for a price that isn't to my, my liking. I'm willing to adjust, but I always sort of have that as a, as a goal. And then I'm, I'm willing to modify that strategy pretty quickly if, if the value is not there. Jack?
2: Well, um, one of the things, I mentioned this publicly a little while ago, so I'll, pu- I'll mention it again. I like putting out a mid-tier guy early because guys aren't used to it. Right. So it could be a running back. It could be a wide receiver. Everyone's almost preconditioned to put up big numbers for the big players because most guys will nominate the big guys first. And then it's another psychological thing where guys just there's a pool of guys. There could be 10 or 12 wideouts that all fall within a range of, you know, 10 to 12 dollars. And they're happy with a number of them. So they don't bid very high or hard on those. And a, a lot of times I've gotten really nice values on guys early that are mid-tier guys that fit my plan, right? I might have one, two, three guys that if I get any one of those, great. But now I have one of my slots filled in my in my plan uh, and usually for a dollar or two under budget. So that's one of my favorites. I think that works really well in auctions with guys that haven't, you know, uh, heard exactly what that... <laughs> strategy is like tonight. Uh, So that's not going to work very well in the next two weeks, but uh, for guys that are in their home auctions or whatnot, I think that's a great way to do things.
4: I want to add, I think that's like very clearly builds on what you said earlier, where you throw out a different position tier. People aren't necessarily prepared to look at a certain part of their cheat sheet or list. Just it's not going to be on the top of their mind if that position hasn't been brought up recently. And a lot of people are like me too, where they're thinking about, you know, can I get a couple of these top tier players? Oh, I didn't think about, you know, you know, Cortland Sutton or whatever. Um, and so it, I think the, the the advantage there is really getting bids out there for people, for players, people just aren't expecting to think about at, at that stage of the draft. Yeah, for sure.
1: And I, you know, every now and then you can get by with throwing out a position player that you think is going to be a dollar player and throw them out there early in the draft, because sometimes if you throw them out, too early in the middle part of the draft, they'll go for a little bit more uh, because people start to get desperate to position. But if you can throw out like a, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, Boston Scott or somebody like that for a buck, uh, you know, the odds are if you're early in the auction, nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna say, oh, I'm gonna spend $2 on Boston Scott. Uh, he's probably gonna come to you for a dollar. If that's one of the guys that you really don't mind having as a backup anyway, you've just got that one under your belt. And now you're one player closer to being finished. And you've got, you know, one of those dollar guys that you're not going to have to fight for later when uh, when things start to get really tight.
2: That's tough, though. It that, is. That's tough. Because I've started high-stakes auctions with a guy like when Alexander Madison, you knew he was the backup for the Vikings. I'm thinking I can get him for two. And I've started with two, Madison for two because I think I'm going to put him right on my roster and someone goes three. And then you yep. That ah, that's a waste. <laughs> you think you're going to get him? You should go for two? No.
1: So. <laughs> well, yeah, you, and it, it, and that's, that's a good point. I mean, it's got to be a player that you like that's not a player that very many people like.
3: Um, otherwise, it just doesn't work. Not on the show sheet, but you bring up a, a $2 to $3 player. Who are some of your guys' greatest hits? I know you remember somebody who you got for less than $5 who was – absolutely smashed
2: absolutely for me it was Lamar Jackson in 2019 it was like three different auction leagues he was one of my targets Uh, it was an article that somebody wrote and I read like five days before I went out to Vegas and I'm in that makes a lot of sense and then I just just kept doing it and it worked out really well
1: anyone for you Dan? um yeah, is it, it, for anybody who's looking behind me, um, you'll, you'll see the Baylor flags there. Um, RT3 is a rookie. I got him for a dollar. Uh, didn't even get another quarterback in the in the auction. That was my only guy. I was like, yeah, if I need another guy, I'll pick him up later. And uh, he, he took me to the title.
3: Shout out to the Baylor Bears. Any Anyone for you, Chris? Uh,
4: the couple that I remember are probably – 2012, the first of a ongoing 10-year run of NFFC auction championships. Uh, Alfred Morris uh, mm. un, un, for under under five dollars, and then I think I had one of my better years in 15 when I remember there was some ambiguity around Tevin Coleman and, and Devontae Freeman, and and I was a big believer in Freeman's ability to catch catch passes uh, a little better than Coleman at the time.
3: RB one overall that year. That's a that's a good one,
1: and and that's a you know that's a great lesson. This is, this is one that I I learned the hard way from Jack. I've learned a few lessons the hard way from Jack. But um, we were sitting in an auction uh, next to each other as it happened, and and uh, he got Devin Coleman for like five bucks, and then he got Devonta Freeman for four bucks or something like that i don't even remember what it was but you got you got basically the atlanta starting backfield for nine ten eleven dollars and you know it just never really occurred to me that hey you know i you know i i didn't really want to bid on him because i wasn't sure who was going to be the guy and jack was like no i'm just going to take them both i don't care yeah 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 i
2: I look for those combinations but about two weeks ago I said, oh, this this Houston backfield, I'm going to buy Damian, Damian Pierce and Marlon Mack for about 7 or $8. It's going to be beautiful, man. And <laughs> look what's happened. <laughs> Mack gets cut, and Damian's going to be about 15 to 20 at this point. So, uh, you know, not going to work. But if you can find those cheap backfields like that where you think someone's going to emerge, it's a good way to, to do it if you're looking for a second or third running back like that.
3: It's definitely more conducive in, a, in an auction um, mm-hmm. format than it would be in a redraft where, you know, using your eighth round pick and your 10th round pick on the same backfield can really backfire. But in an auction, I guess it's, it's all a matter of dollars. So I think that's right. a, that's a very interesting strategy. Yeah. Yeah. You, you
1: just have to be willing to, you know, whatever the total is for the two players, you need to be willing to allot that to whoever, you know, comes out on top. And also you need to be kind of sure that somebody is going to come out on top, you know, and that's, I I think that was part of the deal too, was I was just not sure that anybody was going to emerge with that job between uh, Devonta and and Tevin and Jack was a little bit more sure of it than I was. Uh, So he was willing to put that bid out there and that, you know, I hung back. So that's, that, the only thing that could have hung Jack up is if it ended up being a split backfield, neither one of them was really worth that much.
2: It's not that much money, though. By the right. time yeah,
1: get I right mean it. that's that's the thing. I mean, you know, nine dollars mm-hmm. total or ten dollars total isn't going to make you a
3: breakout. What is your guys' strategy for when you're in the middle part of an auction, when most of the big ticket players are gone?
4: Jack is waiting for the one dollar bids when he can bid again. <laughs>
2: I cannot dispute that too much.
3: Well, how about for the guys who have a little a little more money left in the tank? There, how about There, there
1: is always a point in the auction where Jack says, "I think I'm going to go to the bathroom and get a beer." There
3: <laughs> you
2: go. See there's strategy behind that, right? It's perfect. Exactly. Uh, no, that, to me, it all just depends. You know, if, if, even if I got three, three, four, five slots filled up, I'm always looking at who I'm, who's my primary target at what number. And guys that'll, that that would also fit that slot. So I might have three or four guys there. And so if one of those alternative guys come up and the price is right, I'll buy that player rather than waiting on the last guy that's my preferred because I don't want to get stuck at the end of a tier. So I'll take one and put them in and try just as long as you have alternatives that fit the plan like that. So that, that's pretty much what I'm looking for at that point. It's filling out, filling out the rest of my lineup with guys that would work.
4: Yeah, I would say if I'm in the middle of part of a draft and I didn't acquire as many top level players as would have as as was ideal, and I still had a lot of money, I'm just constantly analyzing. I'm, I'm constantly trying to break out my list at that point into tiers of like, okay, who else is going to make this money worth it to spend on? Because I don't want to, and this is the biggest mistake that people make, even in high stakes live drafts. I do not want to be the guy who has money on the table at the end of the draft. That that hasn't been a problem for me in the past, but that's like wake up in the middle of the night nightmare type stuff for me. So I do not want to have ten dollars and have to throw it on, you know, Boston Kenneth Scott. Gainwell or something. But I was gonna say, but <laughs> I was trying to come up with someone a little more exciting, but um, but yeah, it, it's it, and and so the key for me and always balancing that out is if I do have more money on the table than everyone else, I better have a plan to make use of it because if the, that next tier of player slips and I'm not involved, then I'm, I'm stuck with a
3: bag of nothing. And how do player tiers factor into your strategy for, for, for Dan and Jack? I know Chris just brought them up.
2: Well, only to the extent I know if there are certain guys I have budgeted in at a certain number, I'll know that tier of players and i just i refuse to get caught with the last bidding on the last player in that tier because i'm not gonna pay an extra four or five nor do i usually have the money to do that so i'm always looking ahead to avoid that so when it comes to those kind of tiers um you know can always drop down a tier but um that, that changes things up a little bit for what i'm trying to do
4: I think that's why identifying those tiers as soon as possible when you're in the, that middle stage is really important because if you have to get three or four players in that tier to sort of justify all the money you have, like Jack said, you do not want to ha- be in a position where, you know, you're, you're bidding up some, mid, some mid-level player to $20, 25 because you have to, and he's the only guy left.
1: Right. And some,
4: sometimes you might find that,
1: uh, you know, especially at this point in the auction, uh, the difference between a $4 guy and a $6 guy is actually, you know, can be large, uh, depending on how much money you have left. And, you know, if you were, if you were thinking you were going to be able to get three wide receivers for $4 to, uh, you know, fill out your, you know, one of your flex position or two of your flex positions and a a bench position or something like that. Um, and it ends up there going for $6 each, you know, you might have to switch gears and say, well, I can get I can get two of these guys for six dollars, and I'm going to have to drop down a tier on the on the last guy, you know, and still try to salvage something out of it. Um, but usually, usually in the middle of the auctions, one of the things I like to try to do is I, you know, if I can find players that are at values that I like, um, I like to try to stack them up and you know get a few players ahead of everybody else to the point where I can kind of then. Um, be a little bit more choosy in who I'm bidding on and how much I'm bidding. Uh, because I already, you know, I'm already, you know, like I might have 13 or 14 players on my roster and some people only still only have five. Uh, you know, I think that puts me in a little bit more of a position of strength because I don't have as many spots to fill. Uh, I probably don't have as much money either, but sometimes I, I might have as much money depending on how, what their bidding strategy was and my bidding strategy. Um, you know, so I, I always look at it as, you know, I know Jack and I've talked about this, you know, when you, you know, whoever, whoever has the, the most money and the least players to buy, you know, they're the ones with the hammer in the auction because they can, they can get anybody that they want. Um, and I don't necessarily need to be the, the hammer, but I want to be in the neighborhood of whoever has the hammer so that I can at least threaten them, even if I can't
3: uh, use it myself. What are good ways to bleed your opponents of auction dollars? Start with Chris on this one.
4: the the I'm, I'm really not as focused as much on trying to bleed other players, but I, I do like i said if if players are i feel like they're going too much, I'm going to try to nominate similar players but that, that's really the be- best I can do i i, I want I don't want to mess up my own team at the. To, to try to bleed a couple extra dollars from someone else.
2: Yeah, that, that's a tough thing. If you know that um, just looking at who has two starting running backs and who doesn't, um, you, you might want to nominate a running back for one of those teams if it's the end of a tier, right? And, and that's one way to do it, but it's a tough thing to do. Um, I mentioned, you know, I, I, I knew a couple of guys that if they were bidding, they were bidding to win. So the best way to bleed there is just bid them up. And that's a very dangerous thing, unless you know the people and you know that they're like that and they just bid to win. So um, you have to know the guys for that to work.
1: Yeah. I, I would agree with all that. I don't really have much to add there.
3: And how about, how do you handle your end game strategy? Do you have any tips for how to get your guy when you can barely afford to raise a bid?
4: don't be greedy the (laughs) yeah it's really all about when you have one or two dollars it's you really need to read the rooms see what players are going for and take your best educated guess on what the very best one dollar player is that you don't think anyone will bid two dollars um it makes me so mad when people when people bid $1 $1 players that should clearly be $2 players and they get away with it. That's probably the thing that makes me angriest. I think Bill Wasaski bid like a dollar on Sterling Shepard last year in a 14 team auction and actually got him, And I was just irate, <laughs> but, but for the most part, I think that's, that's, a that's, that's a, a, a mistake. A mistake I see others make is, is throwing $1 players out that like someone's going to throw like a Daryl Henderson out for a dollar or something like that. And there's just no way he's going to go for a dollar. You've wasted your, you've wasted your bid. And so all you can do is make those educated guesses. I would say I'm 50, 50 at that stage when I'm, when I'm trying to make those guesses and get it right.
2: Yeah. You have no control over who's going to go to, I'll try to have one of those guys that I think I'm going to get and someone will go to, then the next nomination will be a much better player than I just put up and he goes for one. Like I never would have thought that would have happened.
1: Right. That's happened
2: to me countless times. It's just a guessing game. But um, the one thing I always do is I always make my list ahead of time of the end game players so that I'm ready. So I don't have to scramble looking at sheets like what other one dollar player can I nominate? It's such a simple thing to do for preparation and gives you plenty of time to scan the sheet and figure out who you want to put up uh, when you have those guys that you like and that you want to try to secure for a dollar or two.
1: Yeah, and it it can be a little bit frustrating, you know, when you keep throwing out. Well, this guy's going to go for a dollar, and inevitably somebody bids two. You know, and and sometimes you can go through like three or four turns of nominations, and if you really don't have any extra dollars to, to go up to two yourself on anything else, it's you're kind of stuck. It's almost like a helpless feeling because you just you know you you can only win when you throw out your own nomination, and if somebody constantly trumps it with a two, uh, you know. What do you do? Uh, you're just you're just stuck, which is one of the reasons why I like to have just kind of a couple extra dollars when I get down to those last couple players, if I possibly can. Sometimes you just can't do it. I mean, you know, uh, if it you know if it comes down to getting that better starter or you know having that last dollar or two, I'd rather have the better starter. But you know, every now and then you get to the point in auction where you're like, yeah, I think I can. I can hang on to you know I can have five dollars left for my last three players or something like that where you have the ability to go to two. and then you know also when you're in that that kind of medium range, you you really have to pay attention to what what do you think the player is gonna sell for because if you think a player is going for three dollars uh, and somebody puts them out there for a dollar, you do not want to be the person who says two because you've just pretty much guaranteed that somebody else is going to go three, you don't want to go four. So, you know you're stuck. so when you when you raise bids in those in those parts of the auction, you want to make sure that you've got, you know either you're gonna be happy with the bid you just made or that you can go not only one dollar more but two dollars more to get to where you want to be, if that makes sense.
3: Well, we've hit an hour twenty. Um, this was tremendous and and a shout out to dan that the the questions were were really, really, really uh, well organized and well thought out. Um, and and I thank you both for being so forthright with uh, your strategy um, for such, such successful players to be able to share that was very generous. Um, we have a question, uh, a redraft question um, that we've asked every single uh, Go District guest since we ended our, our Dynasty Rookie Draft-focused uh, uh, shows, including uh, Billy Wazowski. He answered this question as well. Um, right now, Jamar Chase, Cooper Cup, and Justin Jefferson are the top three wide receivers everywhere um, in terms of ADP. Who would be your best bet to be the wide receiver one overall if it's not one of those three? Start with Chris. And we'd still like some honesty here, Chris, even though we're we're a couple of days away.
4: Initial reaction, I'm really torn between Lamb and Adams. I think they both have – very, you know, unique pass there, Lamb. There's literally nobody else for at the at the moment, unless you count Dalton Schultz for target competition. I would lean towards Devonte Adams. Um, just, I, I, I imagine, you know, Derek Carr doesn't want to be looked at as the guy who, you know. Brought down Adam's stats from what Rodgers always gave him. They're their buddies. They have that connection. Um, I think there's going to be a real effort to to maybe pump up Adam Adam's stats um, there. Not when I've thought about it, but I'd, I'd have a tough time between those guys. But I, I'm going with Adams. So the question was not one of those top three. Who else? Your
3: your best bet outside okay. of the top three.
2: Um, I don't know if he's the best bet, but I'll tell you one who's in my mind is grossly undervalued is Tyreek Hill. Um, And I, I haven't heard a lot about him, to be honest, from from people talking about him, but they paid him an insane amount of money specifically to be in that offense. And just the some of the glimpses we've seen in the summer with him, I could he's just so unbelievable watching him play get the ball in his hands and they're going to throw him short passes and let him do his Tyreek Hill thing. I could see him being one of the top receivers in outside, you know, an an outside low probability one maybe, but I'll throw out Tyreek Hill.
3: And I'll say that that is the you brought up the fact that a lot of people are not on him. You are the first guest that said Tyreek Hill, which is actually pretty un- unbelievable to think about for a player of his stature.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I think kind of a hidden thing uh, going to Jack's point also is that uh, Waddle hasn't practiced in about three weeks. So, you know, that, uh, that, that I, I was not on Tyreek, but I'm starting to get a little bit more interested in him if, if for no other reason than
3: just that. Yeah, I took him at the 2-3 uh, turn after Christian McCaffrey FFPC main event. Um, he's the kind of player that even if you're not all in on him, if you're if you're drafting for volume, you definitely do not want to miss out on because uh, I think the things Jack brought up uh, could absolutely happen, and there's a chance it's just Tyreek's Smash season. So Dan, why don't you uh, close us out here?
1: All right, yeah. So um, again, thanks guys for coming on. We really really appreciate it. Um, hopefully everybody that was listening in got got something out of it. I know we had uh, a, a couple players that had approached me about what do I do for auctions and I said well uh, start off with <laughs> listen to the show and if you have other questions uh, let me know afterwards but um, you know that I, I think we gave people a, a pretty good base to go off of um, and again if you guys don't mind giving your your Twitter handles where people can find you um, that'll be helpful you know if they have any questions or anything uh, you know both these guys hit them up on Twitter they'll, they'll answer your questions I, I can pretty much guarantee it but uh, Unless your name is Billy Wazowski and uh, you're trying to find out what uh, you know what they're going to spend on a particular player, you might not get as far. Jack, I hope uh, I, ho- I hope he
4: gets Sterling Shepard again. <laughs> Absolutely.
2: Yeah, mine's at Jack Hanlaw, and the Han is yeah, it's spelled right there at Jack Hanlaw.
4: And I'm at, right. at, at Chris Eibel. Uh, Chris E-I-B-L.
1: All right. Sounds good. So Thanks thanks again everybody. Uh, Once again uh, make sure you hit that like or subscribe button if you haven't done so. We really appreciate that. Um, Also make sure that uh, you are you're getting out there on the FFPC. There's a lot of contests going on the FFPC right now. Uh, Some of them are still pretty far away from filling. I'm not going to use the overlay word yet but um, there are some contests that they have that are looking a little juicy. Uh, The football guys contest and uh, the the best ball uh, tournament, both, um, you know, they they look like they might have some trouble filling. So if you're into overlay, those might be good ones uh, to enter. And also, I believe until uh, midnight tonight, um, you can enter that best ball tournament. It's normally $125 entry fee. It's $100 right now, which basically takes all the rake right out of it. So... Um, if you haven't if you haven't put any entries in or you haven't maxed it out yet, and you want to get some more entries in, now is a really really great time to go ahead and get at least registered. You don't have to draft them all right this minute, but you just do need to get registered before midnight tonight. All right, and thanks a lot, guys, for uh, joining in, and we are out of here.
0: Fish. fish.